Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 10 to us. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He said. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Good morning. I'm going to begin with a question this morning that I want you to consider. You don't have to answer, but in your own mind. Who is the boss here at Cole Community Church? Who calls the shots? Who's in charge of hiring and firing pastors? Who sets the vision and determines the direction of our church? Who sets up ministries? Who shuts down ministries? Who provides the overall leadership of Cole Community Church? It's a good question to ask, and you may be new or even have been here for quite some time here at Cole, and you may have wondered that same thing. (laughs) We do have an unusual leadership structure here at Cole compared to most churches, and our thinking that has shaped our view of how we've structured coal has been shaped by the passage we're studying today, along with some other passages. So before we talk specifically about 
who leads here at Cole? Who's the boss? Let's dig into this passage and see what we can learn about Jesus's style of leadership and his plan for the church, how he wants us to view leadership in the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, as we bow together as your church, as your people here, each one of us is called to leadership in, in, in some place, in a friendship, in a family, in a job, in, in a ministry, somewhere. And Lord, uh, this passage that's so important for us to understand, I pray that you would apply it to our hearts, that the word would go deep into our souls and help us understand, have our eyes opened to what leadership is really meant to be in the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the setting first. The first few verses, starting in verse 32, you see that they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Now, they have been to Jerusalem several times already. Each time it's been bad. (laughs) They had conflict with the Pharisees. It was tough. It was a place tough place to go. It was difficult. But now Jesus has made it very clear in this journey to Jerusalem that he is on his way for the last time to Jerusalem because in Jerusalem he will be arrested, he will be executed, and he will rise again. He's made that very clear already. But notice it says something very interesting. Jesus was walking ahead of them. (laughs) He's not holding back. He's leading the way. He's determined to do the hard thing because he knows it's the will of the Father. Now, the disciples, notice what their response is. It says they're astonished. They're amazed. Now, why are they amazed? Why are they astonished about this journey they're having? Well, I think a couple things. They, they, they understand, I think, at least that this is the last trip to Jerusalem. But I think in their minds, they're still have in their minds that this journey is all about Jesus going to set himself up as Messiah and be king. That may be part of it. And so they're amazed that this is it. We're going up. It's going to be great. But at the same time, there's fear, it says. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? Well, (laughs) Jerusalem has not been a friendly place to Jesus and his followers. It's been a really tough place to go. And Jesus has made clear that this will not be an easy place to be. It's, they're walking right into the lion's den, so to speak. The Pharisees had already threatened to kill him. And so even if he's there to set up his throne, it's a little scary place to go. I'm just struck that we often feel this way in our relationship with God, this mixture of feelings, right? This sense of God's leading and this is great and we're excited about it. And yet this is kind of scary because we really don't know how it's going to turn out and if it's going to be hard and because sometimes the Christian life's really hard. And how are you leading us, Jesus? So Jesus goes on in verses 33, 34 to say again, actually for the third time, what's coming? He's trying to prepare his disciples. He says it's going to be hard. And there's more detail this time than either of the other times when he talks about what's going to happen here. He's very specific, isn't he? That he'll be arrested. He'll be handed over the Gentiles. He'll be scourged. He'll be beaten. They will spit on him. They will mock him. They will kill him. 
and three days later he'll rise. He knows exactly what he's walking into. He knows this will be difficult. He knows it will be suffering. And I think Jesus is showing what a true leader does. A true leader in the kingdom of God walks boldly into suffering for the sake of those that he's responsible for. He's willing to do the hard thing. He's willing to, if we are willing to follow Jesus' style, we're willing to walk into rejection. We're willing to walk into difficulty. We're willing to walk into those hard conversations. We're willing to walk into conflict. How many of you were at the conference the last couple days on The Way We Love? Awesome. That's a lot. Well, then you in particular will understand that when I say I am a recovering pleaser. (laughs) It's hard for me naturally to walk into hard conversations, and I've had to learn over time to do that, to walk into those difficult times, because that's what a leader does. He's willing to face difficulty and rejection and suffering for the sake of the people he or she is called to lead, that he or she is responsible for. So Jesus is headed there and he explains this is going to be difficult. I want you to understand leadership. Leadership's hard. But then we see in verse 35 through 41, the disciples wrong perspective of leadership. Jesus is saying, you know, I'm going to suffer. This is going to be hard. And don't you just love James and John's response to him? The two sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He says, what do you want? Let us sit on your right hand and and on your left. Wait a minute. Jesus is talking about dying. This is what leadership is. And they like it's so disjunctive. They're not even in the same universe when Jesus is talking about. It's crazy. And And we're told in the parallel passage in Matthew 20 that actually they sent their mommy to ask Jesus. I think they're afraid of what Jesus might do. So their mother went and asked Jesus, gosh, can my son sit on your right and your left? I think they were thinking, well, you know, Jesus really honors women a lot and he listens to them a lot. He values women. Maybe he'll listen to mom more than us. (laughs) Pretty crazy. But they're really thinking, you know, Those positions of power, and we understand that, right? On the right hand, on the left. On the right hand is that a special position. And on the left hand, those are the vice presidents, right? They want to be the VPs. They want to be in that position of power and authority right next to Jesus. Now, there's several things wrong with this question, right? (laughs) A number of things. Let me highlight them. Number one, it totally ignores what Jesus just said. Jesus is trying to share his heart and and it's got to be hard and he's got to be afraid of what's coming up. This is horrible. This is the cross. And they're saying, yeah, whatever, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, we'll get through it and you will rise. Right. And you are going to set up your kingdom. And that's all we're thinking about. They just ignore what Jesus said. And secondly, what's wrong with this question is it totally misunderstands the kingdom of God. They're still holding this view that. Jesus is going to come, set up this earthly kingdom, throw out the Romans and make Israel great again on earth right away. It's going to happen. But Jesus has been teaching them all along that, no, you're misunderstanding Messiah. That is the common view, but that's not what is going to happen. First will be a spiritual kingdom set up on earth 
where Jesus is Lord, yes, but his kingdom is established in the hearts of men and women who give themselves to him. And only in the new heavens and the new earth will we see the kingdom where Jesus truly, truly reigns over all and all will bow the knee and all will submit to him. That is coming, but it's not yet. But they don't get that. They misunderstand the kingdom. And third, the problem with this question is that they misunderstand God's plan for leadership in his kingdom, his spiritual kingdom, his church on earth. They think it's exactly like leadership in the world, but it's not, as we'll see in a moment. They're just in a whole different place. They think they understand, but they don't get it. It's like someone who hasn't had kids yet, but is convinced they know all about parenting. Right, you know, you know the attitude. It's like, wow, I can't believe those parents do that with their kids. If they were my kids, I would treat them totally differently. And then they have kids and they get humbled. You see, they just don't get it. They misunderstand it. So Jesus' response is pretty amazing as they're asking, hey, do whatever we want. You know, give us a blank check. What do you want? Well, sit on your right and your left. And notice his response, verse 38. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what it takes to have leadership in the kingdom of God. You don't know what it takes to have authority in the kingdom of God. Are you willing to drink the cup that I have to drink? Be baptized with the baptism that I have to be baptized with. Are you really willing to do what I'm about to do? to suffer because that's what leadership in the kingdom of God takes. And naively they say, well, whatever, Jesus, bring it on. (laughs) We can, we can do it. And Jesus says, yeah, you will drink the cup. You will be baptized with the baptism. You will suffer because that's what leaders do in the kingdom of God. They suffer. And that happened to James and John. James, of course, was the very first of the disciples of the apostles that was martyred. We see that in the book of Acts. John lived a long life. We know that he was exiled in Patmos, but he experienced plenty of suffering in his life. They did drink the cup, but they didn't understand it at this point at all. But something we often overlook in this passage, I think, is verse 39 and um, 40. Verse 40. But to sit on my right or my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus, as a leader here, is saying, you know, I don't get to appoint the vice presidents. (laughs) I'm submitting to the Father. And we'll talk about this in a moment, that this is a principle of leadership, that he's willing to submit to the Father's leadership. That's part of what he's trying to model for them as leadership. It's a remarkable statement of submission by Jesus to the Father. Well, verse 41, the disciples are indignant. Now, why are they so mad? Now, some have said, well, because they know James and John didn't really get it. Well, none of them got it, believe me. I think they're simply mad is because James and John thought of it first. They're going, oh, why didn't we think of it? They called dibs. They called shotgun. <laughs> and we 
were left out. They're just mad about that. They want those positions of leadership just as much as James and John's do. They want glory. But here's something really interesting. Jesus does not rebuke James and John for wanting leadership, wanting influence in the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? For wanting glory, let us sit on your right and your left in your glory. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting that. He just wants to change their thinking about how you get there. How glory in the kingdom of God comes. How influence leadership in the kingdom of God comes. And so he goes on to say, you need to understand leadership in my kingdom if you're going to be people of influence. So he goes on to explain these contrasting leadership styles, what the world has in terms of leadership and what the kingdom of God is meant to be in terms of its leadership. Verse 42, he says, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, let me explain to you guys, you know, you know. So he says, this is something you're very aware of. This is the way the world works. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Jesus says, you know how the world works. You know the leadership structure, the way authority works in the world around us. You look around you, and in the Roman Empire, you've got an emperor, and you've got officials under him, and then you've got all the way down to governors and prelates and all that. You've got an organizational structure. Let me put it on the overhead here so we're just reminded of what this kind of organizational structure looks like. Right? You guys have all seen this because it's common today. This is a common organizational structure. This is the way the world works, Jesus says. And in fact, it's really what they'd seen in the Jewish world as well. Because the Jewish world typically, you know, in their idea, had a king and, and then people under him. Or you had the high priest and then you have the Sanhedrin and all. It's this kind of structure where you have the boss at the top who has the final authority. The buck stops here. And then vice presidents or whatever terminology you're using, leaders under them. You have CEOs, you have etc. on down. And the disciples could see this in the Jewish world, in the world around them. This is the way it worked in the Gentile and Jewish world. So Jesus says, you know the way the world works. When I worked for the Forest Service and the BLM, who was my boss? Well, at that point, it was Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter, right? They were at the very top. And then there were people under him and under them and under them and about 100 levels down was me. But it was still the same structure. And most of you function under that kind of structure because it's true today as well. Whoever you call that person at the top, CEO, president, leader, uh, that person is in charge of the people under him or her. They're accountable to one another. You know the chain of command and you know where you fit in the chain of command. It's clear. And From a worldly perspective, it's efficient, right? Because the boss makes quick decisions. And it's protective in getting things done. That's why the world uses it. And Jesus doesn't seem to be actually making a value judgment about that. He just says, yeah, this is the way the world works. Okay? It's efficient. It's productive. It's leadership in the world. You know. 
he says to the disciples. And um, let me just put up another structure for you. You may be familiar with this one, too. This is just a little bit different. It's just what's called a flat organizational structure. You still have a boss. He's just more directly relating personally to the people in the organization as a whole. It's called a flat organizational structure. But in either case, the power is invested in the position, right? Whoever that boss is, they're in charge. And if you change bosses, that position still, the new person, because by virtue of the position, has authority still. Most of us work in that kind of environment. If you change people, they have the same authority. And this is what the disciples were seeing all around them in the world and what they're assuming the kingdom of God is going to be like. All right? There's a boss. We want to be second, etc., on down the organizational chain of command. And they're ambitious to be leaders in this new organizational structure, this kingdom of God that's going to be established. But notice what Jesus says, verse 43. Okay, you know that this is what the world is like, but it is not so among you. Whoa. So Jesus is saying that somehow the kingdom of God, the church, where Jesus wants us to function in the spiritual kingdom of God, he says it should be different than the world. Not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you, it's okay to want to be influential, be a leader, but if you want that, want that, you should become a servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Hmm. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I have a different plan for my kingdom. It's not about having a position of power from which you tell others what to do. Leadership in the kingdom of God is all about servanthood. Placing yourself under people. Downward mobility, in the words of Henry Nouwen. You see, influencing others in the kingdom of God, having leadership in the kingdom of God is all about your character, your maturity in Christ, your giftedness, and your willingness to set aside your own rights and your own interests for the sake of others. Servanthood. Jesus says, you want to lead others? Great! But you need to understand what I'm calling you to. It's by servant leadership, and even more by choosing to be slave of all. He uses the word for servant, and he uses the word for slave, a servant See, I think this would have been a powerful image for the disciples because in the Roman world, there were servants everywhere. They got paid a pittance, you know, but they were there to meet the needs of those around them. They could not look at their own needs. It wasn't about them. It was about those whom they were serving. But then he goes even farther. He says, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be great, you must be slave of all. And that word slave Uh, the, the slaves, about a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. And the slaves had been mostly taken in war. They were owned by their masters. They had no rights to themselves. They were there as personal property at the beck and call of their masters. And Jesus says, if you want to be a leader in my church, in my kingdom, learn to give up your own rights and live for the good of others. We might... Picture it this way. Let me give you another picture here. 
where the leader is actually underneath, there to serve and promote and help those that they're responsible for become all that God created them to be. It's a picture of servant leadership. And then in verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, hey, you're only imitating me. Look at my life. Imitate me. Follow me. This is what I've been called to, and this is what you are called to as my leaders in the kingdom of God. To give up your rights and serve those whom you are called to lead. And when you do so, you'll be freeing people to become all that God created them to be. So here's a question for you. Is Jesus just talking about an attitude? You might be a CEO, but you need to have an attitude of servant leadership. Or is he really talking about a structure that Jesus wants us to put in place in the church? As elders here at Cole, we've looked at this passage and we've looked at similar passages. And and, uh, about 11 years ago, we came to the conclusion that God was calling us to change our structure. So for the last 11 years, we've functioned under a structure where we've tried to really apply this in the church. Because we, we... we looked and we said, well, here it's talking about servant leadership. But how, how did the disciples actually live that out in the New Testament? Now, it's not real clear. So obviously there's room for different leadership structures in different churches. But I'm just telling you where we came to in our conclusion. We looked and we saw, well, there were Peter like people like Paul and Peter who established churches and they used a certain amount of authority as apostles to establish churches. But then every place they went, when they established a church, they would appoint elders. And then they would leave. And they left the responsibility for that congregation in the hand of elders. In Acts 14, verse 23, it says that every place they went, they appointed elders. So they did that, and as they did, what were they doing? I think what they were doing, as we we look in the New Testament, and Paul, others talk about Jesus being the head of all things to the church. Now, is that just a figurehead, or is Jesus really hands-on to be the leader of this church today? I think it means he's meant to be hands-on leader. He wants to run his church. But how do we do that? Well, again, we looked at the New Testament, and we saw For example, in Acts 15, as the early church was struggling with the question about Gentiles coming into the church and should they be circumcised? What are are the requirements? How do we fit all this together? And you see this long discussion and there were apostles and others engaging and it says the church came together and they were wrestling with, okay, what, uh, what is God really calling us to here? And several speak. But in the end, they all come together. And here's how they conclude as they write a letter to those Gentile believers. In verse 28, they say this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And they go on to talk about it. Isn't that really interesting? They they talked about it. They dialogued together. No one man said, I'm 
make the final call. No, they came together and discussed it. And they finally said, you know, because we've come to an agreement, we really believe the Holy Spirit has led this decision. We believe it's his decision. And it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us (laughs) to do this. So we as elders here at Cole, that's the way we understand our position. We're not the bosses. We don't run the show. We don't you know, have this position of authority. Actually, our job more than anything else as elders is to seek the mind of the Lord. And I, as an elder, you know, it's been amazing to watch because we come together to make a decision and not all, and we're in such different places on an issue and we're wrestling with it. And I think, how in the world are we ever going to come together? But as we talk about it and pray about it and seek the mind of the Lord and we come to this conclusion together, It's amazing to watch God work. Now, you know, one of the things about the typical hierarchical structure is it's efficient in the short run, right? And it's very productive. You get things done. Coming together, seeking the mind of the Lord takes more time. But in the long run, it really is more efficient because you're doing more, hopefully, what the Lord wants you to do. Now, many churches have a senior or lead pastor. I have been senior pastor for various lengths of time in four different churches. Personally, I really like our structure here much better because I think if you rely on one person, you're going to get their biases and their perspectives, and you're not getting a team coming together with different gifts, different perspectives, where together you're functioning more as the body and you're able to hear more from the Lord as you work it through Together Here at Cole, we believe a group of godly men coming together to seek God's will will not do it perfectly. We know that. But we, that'll, we'll have the best chance of ensuring that Jesus is directing the ongoing ministry of the church. Ray Sedman puts it this way. The church is always, the Protestant church, by the way, has always opposed the papacy. That is the idea of a human head over the entire church. Unfortunately, among Protestant and evangelical churches, we've rejected the idea of one pope over all the churches, but have placed one pope in every church. (laughs) Surely this is just as bad or worse. No, there's no authority in being a pastor or an elder, I might add. A pastor or an elder is just a brother who's given certain gifts in order to be able to help people understand what they are doing and where they're going. I have no authority over my congregation, nor do they over me. We're all brothers before the Lord. It shall not be so among you. The church must not reflect the position and the practices of the world in this regard. Well, then you may be asking, well, then how does leadership happen in the body of Christ? How do we influence one another? How do we lead? Well, he goes on to say, those who have authority... In the church are those whom people have learned to respect and honor because they've been served by them. Their needs are met by them in one way or another. This is where authority lies within the church. Of course, Jesus himself is our great example. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the ultimate picture of the servant, the one who had every right to authority becomes the one who gives up everything to meet our needs. This is the mark of how to function in the kingdom of God when you're talking about leadership. 
So authority is not by position, but rather by character, by serving, by giftedness. So if we're all called to leaders in some way in our families, in our friendships, and all of us are to exhibit these character qualities of leadership, what are they? How can we summarize them? Let me give you four S's to summarize what I think Jesus calls all of us to. Because I think we're all called to leadership in some way. In a friendship, with our kids, our marriages, whatever. Number one, suffering. Verse 33 and 34, where Jesus describes the suffering he's about to face. And he goes on to talk about drinking the cup. If you're called to be a leader and have influence, the way you have the greatest influence is that you're willing to suffer, to set aside your own rights, your own interests, for the sake of others and to put them first, to be other-centered, to be willing to suffer for the sake of others. Number two, submission. Verse 40 again, to sit on my right or my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. The best leaders in the kingdom of God aren't those who are strong and can tell you what to do and forge ahead and let me lead. It's those who are most submissive to the Father. And as they submit to the father, you say, wow, I want to follow that person because I know he's submitted to the father. I know she is following the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore they have influence in my life. Suffering, submission. Number three, servanthood. Verse 43, 44, where he says, you're called to servanthood. You want to have influence? You want to be great in my kingdom? Learn to be the slave of all. Learn to serve. Learn to put other people above yourself. And as you learn to do that, other people will want to follow you. You'll be having influence in the kingdom of God. And then the fourth S, so suffering, submission, servanthood, and sacrifice. Son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give up his life, to sacrifice his life as a ransom for many. You see, the best leaders in the kingdom of God die to their own rights. They don't demand that you follow and do what they tell you to do. The best leaders in the kingdom of God sacrifice their own rights for the sake of others. And Jesus won our allegiance by giving up his life for us so that he might win us back from sin. And that's what the best leaders do. You know, it's interesting. If you really look at Paul's leadership, he dealt with some tough churches. He dealt with some difficulty And we sometimes think as Paul is this really strong leader. And, you know, he was, he confronted at times. But when he's describing his own ministry, one of the key passages he uses as he describes his own ministry is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and following. And in that passage, I encourage you to read that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and following. He says, I came to you as a nursing mother willing to impart my very soul to you. Now think about that imagery for a minute. He, he doesn't come as a boss. He said, I came to you, Thessalonians, as a nursing mother. And who is more sacrificial, more of a servant than a nursing mother? A baby can't do anything for you, can't, res- can't do anything at all. You're there completely as a mother to meet that child's needs. And Paul says, that's my model. That's one of my images for leadership in the kingdom of God. I'm here to meet your needs, O Thessalonians. It's a beautiful picture, I think, for us. You want to be great in God's kingdom? That's how it works. 
So who's the boss at Cole Community Church? (laughs) Who runs the show? Who calls the shots? Well, we hope it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we don't do it perfectly, but we hope the Lord Jesus is working through the elders whose primary calling is to listen to the mind of the Lord so that we can with confidence say what the early church did. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to walk this way. May each of us learn to follow Jesus to be servant leaders in whatever capacity he's called us to influence others. Let's pray. Lord, what a marvelous picture it is of leadership in the kingdom of God. You're calling us to something really hard, but you walked that path first. May we learn to follow you as a church, but also as individuals. And to exhibit your style of leadership, one of sacrifice, submission, servanthood, and a willingness to suffer for the sake of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.